today's reading is Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. Why people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mitzah. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By the day, Lord, I said, by day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes say, taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Hello everyone. Um, yeah, it's just been a beautiful morning together so far, which has yeah, just been such a privilege to be together. And yeah, just a beautiful psalm that we're sort of focusing on again in this series. Um, and yeah, it's just been a bit of a surprising and week. And, and sometimes God interrupts our plans in, in really surprising ways and really good ways. And well, to you know, um, Sue Roberts, and she uh, shared uh, early last year, I think, some of her testimony. Um, of healing and inner healing through through cancer, and the journey has has continued after that with with ups and downs. And lots of you guys are aware, and it was a real privilege I got to be able to just have coffee and catch up with Sue on on Thursday. And we were talking about her sharing again, um, just more of what God's been doing. And then just both thought actually it would really work well to just do it this Sunday as as the sermon. Um, so I got out of preparing a message. So I was pretty happy with that. <laughs> Worked out really well. And I actually got sick that that night. So it was. Yeah, it just felt like God's provision even in, in that. And, um, yeah, it's just so privileged um, for you to just be, yeah, part of our church family, Sue, and, and just to be willing to share today. Um, I guess you, there's sort of been a bit of a theme around the service already, that I guess even with this psalm, is a bit more about lament and, and even what, what Bob shared before was so relevant as well. And, um, yeah, Sue, Sue is going to talk about some pretty heavy things. She, she is going to be talking about cancer and going to be talking about death. 
Um, and we were just only realised this morning that in some ways this might not have been the best morning because the kids' programs aren't on, so we're aware that the kids are around. So we just wanted to give families a heads up that, that some of what Sue's sharing will be a bit heavy, but at the same time really positive. She, she's sharing it from a really positive perspective and, and um, yeah, from God's perspective and what he's done in her heart and it's so hopeful and, and, and amazing. Um, but yeah, we just wanted to give parents a heads up if, if you did feel like you wanted to put your kid, take your kids out to the creation, supervise them there, or there are some activity sheets at the back, or there's even the playground out, outside as well. So we just wanted to give just parents a bit of a warning about that. But yeah, if you wanted to come up, Sue, and um, yeah, we're just so grateful that you're willing to share and just, yeah, just feel and bless, bless all you have to say today, Lord. Thank you. Sounds like I'm on. Yep, all good. It's all working. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Oh, yeah. Oh. All good. Good morning, everyone. I am really grateful that I'm here to be able to share with you this morning. Um, I want to just declare that as the first miracle, because <laughs> medically speaking, that was not meant to be my situation. So I am so grateful to God that I get to be here with you this morning and to share with you. Uh, yes, as Tim mentioned, May last year, I did a, uh, was here and I, I gave my testimony at that point in time. And to do a really quick recap, in November 2020, I was diagnosed with stage four terminal cancer, colorectal cancer, um, metastasized through my body and I had numerous tumors. The prognosis at that point, November 2020, was expected to be around about one month. And when I got to Brisbane for treatment, my oncologist there was a bit more positive. He thought six months. Um, but then I had my, got straight into treatment, but the second round of treatment, I had an anaphylactic reaction to that main chemo drug. And at that point, he told me later that he expected I would pass very quickly. But Lo and behold, in the January, I just started to get better. And scans showed that the tumours in my body had either shrunk to barely visible, gone, or just become inactive. And my oncologist, his words to me was, this is rare and extraordinary. Um, so I actually started to get a whole lot better. And... Um, I was able to have the, the major surgery to remove what was the remnant of the primary cancer. So, but as I shared back then, um, May last year, I think it was so critical and it was so God-ordained that I had been involved in study and in a, with a study group of people that were practising the presence of God. And we looked at all different ways to just be like Mary at the feet of Jesus, listening for his voice. And I had gone from being a Martha, from the story of Martha and Mary, a Martha on steroids, to becoming a bit more like Mary at the feet of Jesus. And certainly when the hard times came, it was my easy go-to, to just be at the feet of Jesus, listening for his voice, and just pouring all of it out before him. And in that time, God did the miraculous. Yes, he did a physical healing, but what was more important, he did a deep soul and spiritual healing within me. And that is the stuff that lasts into eternity. Eventually, our bodies still fail. But 
that emotional and that soul healing, that was what was so precious and that's what I testified to back in May last year. So if you actually want to go back and have a look at it, I did find it on uh, YouTube, on the church's YouTube um, videos there, so May last year. Just to stop for a moment from my testimony before I go on to what's happened since, let's have a bit of a look at Psalm 42. So historians think probably David wrote Psalm 42, though they can't be absolutely sure. But just for this um, discussion this morning, let's just assume that it's David who's written. And for me, when I read Psalm 42, I thought this is like the sacred journey of struggle, the sacred journey of suffering. And I, I call it sacred because all humans will go through struggle and suffering. It is part of being on this earth. But it becomes sacred when we seek God with all our hearts and he meets us in the struggle. He meets us in the suffering. So I call it, and for my journey, I call it the sacred journey of struggle or suffering, whichever you prefer. But Psalm 42 just brings it out so very beautifully. So, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? You get this picture, perhaps, of this... Um, poor deer that's maybe it's been chased by predators and it's just exhausted and it's panting for water it's trying to survive it's trying to it needs water to survive but yet that's what the soul of David is crying out in the same way I'm just trying to survive I need you God I need you so we see that there is this beautiful longing that in the struggle in the suffering of everything that he's going through, and they think that it probably was written when David was in exile. Um, you see that longing, that deep, deep soul longing for God to meet him in that place. You also see the despair within verse 3 and other verses. If we can go one more slide. One more, thank you. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? There's, and he goes on at other parts through the psalm, and you hear the fear, you hear the confusion, you hear the despair. And I'm sure all of us can relate to that from certain times of our lives where we've known deep despair. But we also see hope in this psalm. And the beautiful thing is that David owns the despair. Why, my soul, are you downcast within me? He's owning it. He, he's recognising what's happening within him and he's challenging it. He then goes on to talk about remembering. So he's trying to... Remembering the goodness of God. So he's pulling himself out of the pity party and he might have had every reason under the sun to be very despairing, but he is challenging himself to say, no more, remember God, remember God, and the goodness and the provision and the love. And I just love the verses, which I think we've just... Yes, it's right there. Deep calls to deep, verse 7. And that beautiful picture of 
God's deep calling to our deep and the waterfalls of his love, all his waves and breakers sweeping over him. And so you've gone from the deer panting for streams of water and hasn't just found a muddy, muddy little puddle somewhere and trying to just get a little bit of water. They're engulfed in streams of water from God, from his provision. And David's calling himself back to remember when you were engulfed in God's love. Remember, my soul, remember his goodness, remember his provision. And I think that is the challenge for all of us when we're in a dark place, when we have despair in our lives. And obviously there can be all different circumstances and all sorts of levels. And it is a challenge for us in that time without any doubt. We go through the very real struggle that all humans face of despair, sometimes fear and confusion. But when we long for God and when we hope in him, when we call ourselves out, when we choose, when we choose to remember him in the thick of the dark place, he will meet us there. And that's where I want to continue on with my story. But just before I do, can you remember personally a time when you experience God engulfing you in his love, engulfing you in his provision? Perhaps it was a special revelation of some sort that he showed you. Perhaps it was a breakthrough moment. Perhaps it was a miracle, being part of a miracle. Perhaps it was a supernatural outpouring of his Holy Spirit in some way. Perhaps it was a promise re revealed or re realised. Remember those moments. Remember those moments even for each other as we hold each other as a village of believers supporting each other through the dark days. They can hold us in hope when all seems so dark. So going back to my testimony and, and what has happened since May last year, later in May last year, um, the genetic testing results came through from me having the remnants of the primary cancer removed and I found out that the cancer had mutated to being in the top 5% of deadliest cancers that there are and it was a very aggressive form of cancer and yet I was so well. <laughs> so that was actually quite incredible to absorb all of that and that I was doing so incredibly well and I continued to be incredibly well for the next few months to the point where I was actually considering even going back to part-time work. And then in September I had my routine scans done and sadly they showed that the cancer had started to grow a bit again was not a lot, but it was showing that it was becoming active again. And that was tough to get my head around and to wonder what next God like. Yeah, I just understood the confusion and it was like, we're back to now the struggle again. I chose to do some travel and spend time with family over those next few months, but I also started a new chemo regime to suit this mutation of um, this cancer that I had. And that regime was tough. It was actually really awful. I had 
developed bursitis because of it in my right shoulder, which was really painful. I had sores and rashes all over me. My heart rate and blood pressure were just all over the shop. It was hard to eat. But I think the most horrifying part of that treatment was it was cancer treatment that caused cancer. So for the first time in my life, I was dealing with melanoma on my skin. And I've had six melanomas removed. But the medical team believed that that was the lesser of the evils in the sense of cancers. So we continued. But to me, I still struggle with that. <laughs> like cancer treatment that causes cancer. But you know what? God has been with me the whole way. But to just continue with the cancer story there for a moment, earlier this year, um, scans showed that I had a very large tumour had developed in the middle of my chest. It was the size of a peach. I had a couple of unsuccessful surgeries to try and deal with it, and the pain was awful, I've got to say. I really, really struggled. By April, I was really struggling and my resilience was really at an all-time low for this journey. I spent a lot of time crying just from pain and just trying to cope, lack of sleep and hard to eat and everything that went with it. I did have a nerve block done and that did help, that, that eased it up, but I still was wretchedly ill in myself. And then coming into to May this year, I was just, again, crying out to my God to give me the courage and strength to cope. I really felt like my resilience was very low. And on the 15th of May, that night, I had a very vivid, a very intense dream. In this dream, I was asleep in my bed. So I'm asleep in my bed, dreaming that I'm asleep in my bed. <laughs> and... My dad, who passed away in 2009, came to me and stood beside my bed. And he looked at me with incredible, like, supernatural love and acceptance and joy. And then he spoke over me, but his mouth was moving, but I couldn't hear any words. But I felt in this dream blessing go through my body. When I woke up the next morning, it was so vivid, I could still remember every part of that dream, but I felt completely different. I felt in my body that I was physically just so much better, and um, also just emotionally that I'd been restored. The peace of God sat with me, and it sat with me ever since. But I've got to say, I pondered this before God in prayer because this is a little outside the box for human Christian experience, <laughs> you know, my dad coming to me and all of that. But what God showed me as I prayed was that I'd carried a deep sense of shame and failure over my broken marriage from some years ago before my dad, who was my hero. And I'd never been able to deal with that with dad because he was gone, he was in heaven. And so I suppose you push it down, you suppress it. But God released me from it in that dream. I saw supernatural acceptance and love. I saw a glimpse of heaven in my dad. And it stayed with me and it changed me. So I think a really crazy outworking of that was I became so well in myself, the chemo I was having, having just stopped having such horrible side effects on me. 
And then at Wesley Hospital, where I was having the chemo treatment, the palliative care team said to, it, said to me, you've made us redundant, you're doing way too well. <laughs> so you don't need us right now. We'll be around if you need us down the track, but you don't need us right now. And I thought, wow, I've been ejected from palliative care. That's pretty cool. <laughs> you know what, then I had scans, regular scans again. You have them every three months in July. And that was just before Emma and Kurt's wedding. And found out that the cancer hadn't disappeared. It hadn't shrunk. In fact, there'd actually been slight progression in it. And my oncologist made the call that the treatment's not working, so we're going to stop. And we're going to just let you have quality of life for whatever time you've got. So, and that was hard, though I wasn't sad about leaving chemo behind. But um, that was hard, in a way, to think that medically there's nothing more they can do. And when it comes back, medically there's not a lot that can be done. But you know what? After that, I had blood tests done just a couple of weeks ago, and my tumour markers, which were, have dropped to almost normal person level. I feel incredibly well. And so that's two of the three things that they look at to assess how you're doing with this cancer. I had scans done, regular scans done last week. I'll find out those results tomorrow. But whatever those results show, I want to say, I want to testify that God is good. He has given me so much peace in my heart of hearts. He's met me where deep meets with deep. He, I am completely surrendered to him, whatever his will, whatever his purposes. And I will trust him completely. I also want to say cancer will not have the last say over my life. God will. He knows the number. <laughs> Thank you. He knows the number of days that I'm here for. And when he calls me, I don't want to be anywhere else than with him. So I am at peace. So what a sacred journey of struggle this has been. And it is potentially, well, eventually for all of us, facing my own death. Now, how do I feel about that? Well, I want to say that I resonate with Paul when in Philippians 1, verse 20 to 24, we can, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. I resonate with that absolutely. To live is to be in Christ to continue this journey with him, but I get to stay with my family who I love dearly. I really do. And I get to continue to be involved in kingdom ministry. But to die 
It's not something to fear. It's not something that's bad. To die is gain. As Paul says, to be in paradise with my Jesus, that is incredible and that is awesome. And so be it, God. When you say it's time, I'm ready. (laughs) So I trust God for the path he's going to take me on. You know, Jesus also walked what I would call a sacred journey of struggle. In Luke 22, 39 to 43, we see Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And just after that, it goes on to speak about how he prayed in anguish and his sweat became like drops of blood. So he knew anguish and longing for his father to meet him in that place. We just see his despair and anguish, but we also see his longing for God and we see him seeking hope in that connection with his father. And we also know that angels came to strengthen him. So his father did help him. For me, the prayer that Jesus prayed is the ultimate of all prayers. That's for me. And it's the prayer that I've made agreement with. Father... If you are willing to take this cup of cancer from me, so be it. That's great. I'd love it. (laughs) But yet, not your will, but not my will, but yours be done. I just want to be where you want me to be. Jesus was obedient to his father and he won the victory over death for all of us. I think this prayer... And much as physical healing would be amazing, I think that prayer of just being completely surrendered and trusting God and knowing his healing in your soul and spirit is so much more important. So it seems that God has been actually showing me quite a bit about death just in the last couple of weeks. I have three amazing encounters to just share with you. I was actually down in Victoria visiting my son and his family and um, I managed to catch up with a dear friend who, her name is Rosie, and we worked together for a short time but lived quite close together when we were in Victoria. And for the last about 14 to 15 months, we've shared the cancer journey. And so we've kept contact through phone calls and through uh, messenger and just supported and encouraged each other. She has had a life dedicated to service to Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful person. And we shared this journey together and the ups and the downs. But I was aware that Rosie had become very ill and she was in hospital. So um, I asked if I could um, ask her if I could come and visit and she was so keen. And when I got there, it was really obvious that she wasn't long for this world. That she was, although she was sitting up, she was so very ill. And apart from cancer, she also had Parkinson's. And as I left, after a beautiful couple of hours with her, where we talked about the hope that we have in Jesus and what paradise is going to be like, 
you know, we, I left and we were teary because we both knew this would be the last time we'd see each other on this earth. And I walked out of that hospital with tears and yet suddenly I had the most overwhelming experience of just Holy Spirit joy. And I knew she is about to be freed from the wretchedness in her body of cancer and Parkinson's and she is about to be freed into eternity with Jesus. And I just had so much joy for her in that. So, of course, there's the human sadness of lost my cancer buddy in a way and yet all I actually truly feel is just joy for her because she did pass last Sunday and it's just such a joy to know that she is in paradise with Jesus and I will see her again there. The second encounter was I went to church with my son and I met one of the pastors at his church, a lady named Nicole. Now, this was the first time I'd ever met her face to face. However, roughly about 10 years ago, we were, as a church where I was working in Wodonga in Victoria, very aware that her family was in crisis and the church was praying for her family. Her youngest, uh, sorry, her daughter, Jemima, who was, I think, around about nine at this time, had become critically ill with a brain condition of some sort and she was in ICU in the Royal Children's Hospital down there. And Jemima sadly did pass and we all felt so much for the pain of that family. So here I am talking with her mum, Nicole, and she actually, because through my son, she actually knew my story and I let her know that I actually knew about her story with her daughter. And we were talking about death, and it was a good, good discussion, but then I suddenly realised, well, maybe I'm being really insensitive here <laughs> to what she went through. And so I said, look, I'm sorry if this is insensitive, you know, in what you went through with Jemima. She said to me, no, not at all. I was sitting with her in ICU, and things were very bad. And then I saw Jesus walk into the room. I saw her spirit rise up out of her body, Jesus held out his hand and she chose to take it and to walk with him. And it gave me so much peace. That is actually so beautiful in the thick of tragedy of a little girl and her human life being over. But Jesus gave that family so much peace in that situation. How incredibly beautiful. The last encounter that I want to share with you is an encounter that's actually been 28 years in the making. So my cousin, Bronnie, there she is, is the most beautiful young lady. And 28 years ago, I was at her sister's wedding and Bronnie was a bridesmaid. She was 32, she was pregnant, she had a little boy, two years old, Blake, and, um, and a husband. And it was a lovely wedding. And as I went to leave the reception, I looked back across everyone and I saw Bronnie, who I adored, and the voice of God, which I've heard before, but nothing like this, said, she won't be with you for much longer. And in that moment, I was just distraught. Every bit of humanness came out and I was distraught. I loved this girl so much. And it was all the questions of like, how, why, what, when, like, 
And I knew Bronnie believed in God. I knew she went to church occasionally. I just didn't know where she really stood in her faith, in her journey with God. And I just wanted to know, will there be a time, a chance to talk to her before this happens? But nothing further came, no further words, that was it. And thankfully, I didn't do the horrendous thing of walking in and saying, Bronnie, we need to talk, you're about to die. That would have been horrible. <laughs> thankfully, I didn't. But I knew I just needed to sit with it and pray and wait and pray. And so for that next two weeks, I prayed my heart out for her for her little boy, Blake, for her unborn baby, for her husband, and for all of us, her family. And two weeks later, I got the call from my uncle saying that Bronnie was critically ill. Her brain was swelling. They didn't know why. She was in ICU in Monash Hospital in, in Melbourne. And um, it wasn't looking good. But in all that, that two weeks, all that time of prayer, God had prepared my heart. And so... I knew I had to go to her. I had to pack up and head off. And so I left Em and Ash with my mum and dad and they were very supportive and, and off I went. And um, when I got to Monash Hospital, I thought, I'm not immediate family. They may not let me in. But to my surprise, they actually did. That while immediate family weren't there, they were happy for me to come in and to, to sit with her. Quick side story, just before this has happened, a dear friend of mine has been in a coma for quite a few months. And when she came out of the coma, she could actually relate to us things that people had said to her while she was in that coma. And she'd made a recommitment to Christ inside that coma. So I knew that. And then here was Bronnie in a coma. So I sat with her. I talked to her. I prayed over her and I read scripture to her for the next eight days. Every time a family, immediate family member wasn't there, I was with her. And you know what was really incredible was the nurse, her nurse was saying to me, every time you speak, every time you're talking to her, her vital signs are coming up. She knows your voice, she knows you're here and she's responding to you, so keep going. So that was all I needed to keep on going. So continue to pray over, with, over her for that next approximately eight days, but I knew I needed to get back to my two little ones that I'd left at, back at home. And this particular Tuesday morning, I knew this would be the last time I saw her. Things had deteriorated a lot in her condition. And as I sat there, I had the deepest conviction that I needed to pray intercessory prayer. And I held her and the words came to me, God, she is blood of my blood. I ask you for the forgiveness of sins. I ask that you cover her with the blood of Jesus and I ask that she be accepted into the kingdom of God. Now, I hadn't spoken to my sister that day, but she was driving down the freeway in Canberra and she knew she had to pull over and she was convicted to pray exactly the same prayer I was praying at that time. And so 10.30 on that Tuesday morning, we were praying the same prayer for Bronnie. And then as I finished all the alarms and bells and everything around her intensive care equipment went off and they rushed me out and an emergency team came running in. And I sat in the waiting room and just waited to hear what had happened. And when the nurse finally came, she said, um, her brain has now swollen and melted down and there's no coming back from this. So she was on life support for a few more days but um, so the family could come and say goodbye to her. But... Um, I returned home 
and a few days later, I'm in my kitchen holding my broom, sweeping, actually, and um, suddenly I just was not there. I was in this incredible place that I've never seen anything like it on this earth. The colours are just... You can't even describe them, but the thing I can say is they were alive. The colours were alive. And if you've ever seen, like, in bubbles, how you get the rainbow sort of colours coming out, there was this glistening, shimmering white, but these colours were coming out of it. And the presence of God was absolutely everywhere. And in the midst of that place, there was Bronnie, and her face was raised. She was clothed in this incredible white, but her face was raised, and she was dancing before God with joy. And in my spirit, I knew she was safe. I knew she'd made it. And God gave me incredible peace as I suddenly I was back in my kitchen. It was over. But he gave me such an incredible peace then because the whole thing had been so overwhelming and now I had his peace. And I knew that my part of that story, and it was a story between God and Bronnie, I was just a small part of it, but um, it was an incredible experience and I wrestled then in the weeks and months and years following Surely, God, I know this was your journey with Bronnie and Bronnie coming into your kingdom, but surely there needs to be testimony of this. But I knew her family were, such, were so lost in grief and struggling and angry and all the things that people normally feel when a 32-year-old pregnant lady has passed, leaving a two-year-old little boy behind. And I knew that if I just went bashing into that with my story, I could do a lot of damage. And I did not want to do that unless God told me it was time. So I asked him, God, when is it going to be time? When's it going to be time? And the only thing that came to me was I had some dreams about little Blake, who was two years old at the time, would eventually come to faith. And when I heard of that, it would be the time to tell the story. That was the only guidance I had, and I decided to stay with that. But I prayed, and particularly if I was awake through the night, I would pray for Blake and pray for her husband, Craig, and pray for our family for 28 years. <laughs> and I was in Victoria, and I went back to the, the family farm that my mum had grown up on, and all my cousins in the area that lived there came to see me. It was really precious. It was so great. Bronnie's sister, Julie, came to see me, and we got to sit and just chat the two of us for a time. And Julie, just in the course of conversation, just mentions, because she thought I'd be interested, that Blake, little Blake, who's now a grown man, is going to church, and he is so committed to his church, and she's gone along as well and really enjoyed it. And you could have just blown me off the seat <laughs> with a feather. like. But I realised this is it. This is it. This is the time. It's the time to now speak the story. And it's while I'm still here and while I'm seeing the goodness of God in the land of the living, I'm seeing it. And I realised that to be able to contact Blake, I needed Julie's help because I didn't have contact details for him. And um, so I needed to explain some of this to Julie. So I told her a sort of a shortened version of it and she had tears in her eyes and I've never seen her that soft to the things of God, and it was so beautiful. But she honoured my request and knew it was important that I catch up with Blake. 
And so Blake contacted me then just shortly after and said, I hear you've got a story to tell me about mum, can we catch up? And I sat with Blake in an extended lunch break for an hour and a half and told him the story of his mum and it became so obvious that he is passionately in love with Jesus. And for my heart, my soul, after all that time, how absolutely incredible and what a blessing, what a privilege to be able to share the story. But what was beautiful as well, his mum-in-law is a lady of faith and she'd been praying some time back for, for Blake and for his mum and the questions Blake had about, well, how do I know where mum is? What, I, I've got no idea. And God gave her an identical vision of Bronnie that I'd had and so he'd already heard it. And when I spoke it, he just knew his mum's safe. And so I can't even begin to explain what that's been like after 28 years of waiting and praying to be able to just hug this young man and to be, just share this story and to share faith. And it's just so, so, so precious. So... Anyway, God blessed me enormously in, in that story and I'm so grateful that he has kept me here to see that outworking. It's a blessing to my heart and to Blake's and I hope ongoing to the rest of our family. So God has blessed me abundantly with his goodness. I've experienced miraculous healing I'm still here and it makes no medical sense. Last year in September when they knew the cancer was on the move, they thought I might have nine months, which was May this year, and I'm still here talking to you. So it seems I'm still here for a while. In fact, my doctor said to me just recently, most important thing in, in fighting this is your positive attitude. You have such a positive attitude, which was medical code for my faith because they all know I'm a person of faith. But um, God will take me when it's time. And when it's time, that's completely okay. He's brought me to a place of incredibly deep peace in him, even regarding my own passing. Those experiences that I've had in Victoria just have meant so much to me, the hand of God in people's lives as they pass. I will continue to pray as Jesus did. Lord, if it's your will, take this cup from me yet. Not my will, but yours be done. I choose to remember his goodness. I choose, to, even in the hard days, I choose to remember his goodness. Will you? For all of us, we all go through different levels of struggle and suffering. It becomes sacred when we long for God with all of our hearts. And you know, as we finish this morning, if this has raised anything for you in any way, I'm happy to sit and talk and listen and pray. Or share it with someone that you feel close to and you can share. If you're in that place even now, a place of deep struggle, you don't have to do it alone. We need to be a community that supports each other and helps each other to remember the goodness of God even in the dark days. So I'll just now close with prayer.
Thank you, Lord, that you are here in our midst. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you fill the hearts and minds of every person here. I ask, Lord, that you would just draw people to yourself, to your heart, where your deep meets with their deep. And I pray that for all of us, we will always remember you, your goodness, your love, your grace. May it go with us every day of our lives until we meet with you. In Jesus' name, amen.